That's what these gargoyles are. More of the goblins Halloween creations. The bugle was right about you. You are a threat and a menace. Wait, wait, wait. You can talk and read? And what you read is the Jolly Ones editorial? The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan. Of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Hello and welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, webmaster and executive producer of the Spidey Radio Network. Thank you for listening to the show. This show is powered by Spidey-Dude.com. It's part of the general network that powers it. You can support this show, if you like, via Patreon.com slash SpideyDudeNetwork. You can also leave us a voicemail, 818-925-6631. We'll play that voicemail in a future episode. We also like to get emails every once in a while. Be sure to leave us an email, if you like. Gargoyles Voices at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. At Spidey Network on Facebook is the general network Facebook page. But you can also follow this exclusive Twitter handle, at From Erie on Twitter. Follow us there to get show updates at both places. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe if you're listening to us on YouTube. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, you can always leave us a five-star review, and we will read all of that feedback in a future episode. want to give a shout-out before we get started also is to our two of our patrons, Scott and Venkman. Thank you for your support of this show and all the shows on the Spidey Radio Network. As always, we thank all of our guests and our host for this show. And with that, I turn it over Zach, you're actually here this time? I know, right? Uh, th- this is a strange uh, this is a strange bedfellow. <laughs> I'm I'm only here for like five seconds and then I get to leave. <laughs> Alright, come on. Okay, Zach, you can sit down in the guest couch this time. You're not the host here, even if you do provide this podcast with room and board. <laughs> it's it's good to good to be in the guest chair. All right. (laughs) All right. Welcome back to Voices from the Eerie. I'd like to introduce my co-host Jennifer L. Anderson, partner in crime. Hello, everyone. And I would like to introduce for the first time the co-host of Whelmed: The Young Justice Files, Emily Buza. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Whelmed is a fantastic podcast. I've been a fan of it for a very long time, and it's really brought. Thank you. Yeah, it's really broadened my horizons on what a podcast like this can do and has made me think about content for this show going forward. That's just incredibly sweet. Thank you. (laughs) And I would like to introduce for the first time to our show, as I've said, he provides us room and board. He runs the Spidey Dude Radio Network, which hosts us, Mr. Zach Joyner, my former co-host on Spectacular Radio. Finally! Man, uh, I remember when we first talked about Oh, we should do a gargoyle show. I think that was six years ago. So oh. the fact that it finally is happening and coming out on a consistent basis 
and you've got um, Jennifer, who is certainly so talented, and uh, to, to co-host it. I, I, I was excited um, that this came together so quickly this year, and so we're recording this towards the end of 2021. But yeah, I, I'm just so so ha- so darn happy to be here. I wasn't kidding. I it's think so nice. I'm just fumbling around over here, like I have no idea what I'm doing, but I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I think some of the seeds for this podcast started when we had Jamie Thomason on Spectacular Radio. He brought up a lot of gargoyles anecdotes, and naturally, because I am me, I ended up bringing up gargoyles anecdotes while we were supposed to be talking about Spidey, and it became abundantly clear I really want to do a gargoyles podcast when Spectacular Radio is done. You know, I'm so proud of of what we did with that show. Um, you know, that's the first show that we started and finished. You know, we had a we had a set goal, a set in game, and um, yes, you could say that we finished Clone Saga Chronicles because we got all the way through the '90s Clone Saga. But you know, with spec, it to be able to go out and and record all 26 episodes, you know, and and you know, I wasn't on for all of them, but I was on for a good chunk of them. I would say 75 to 80 percent of them. And for us to be able to accomplish that goal was was so gratifying and so satisfying that when Greg, you know, started working on the development of this show, you know, him and I both kind of had the same approach. We wanted to do things differently with what with the future projects. And I, I'm just so proud of what you've accomplished so far, Greg. And, and once again, so thankful for uh, Greg Wiseman and his time. And everybody that's been on the show so far, uh, their time, you know, just so humbling to have these fantastic professionals on and to 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 be able to talk about the about this subject. And so um, I I got a lot of 90s nostalgia flashbacks watching today, so uh, I'm excited to talk about it. All right, and before we do dive in, I do want to say that Greg Wiseman has told us many times he's a big fan of Whelmed as, as well. He listens to it every time he put out an episode. We're going to embarrass him. <laughs> He's a great guy. No, no pressure or anything. No pressure. We're 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 aware. We're aware. He's tweeted at us a couple of times. It's very it's very nice. It's very fun. He's a good guy. Well, he's a he is awesome. I think I think we'll keep him. <laughs> as we as we should. Yes. <laughs> Tim at all costs. So before we uh, develop, we start talking about this five part pilot. Do either of you have any background with gargoyles? I mean, Emily, you can go first. Uh, the short answer is no, uh, because let's just say I was born a few years after gargoyles ended. So, no, I was much later in life marginally aware of its existence uh i feel like sometime in high school i had heard about it uh had seen fan art or had seen i think i'd seen like au fan art for something for something else that i liked that someone had done like these characters as gargoyles and was like oh that's cool and i moved on uh and then much later down the line uh as i was involved in whelmed uh, people would be like, oh, you should watch Gargoyles. And I'm like, oh, okay. And for the longest time, Gargoyles was very hard to find anywhere. So didn't watch it still. Uh, but eventually, 
earlier this year was the first time I had ever watched these or any episodes of Gargoyles. Uh, and I've still only watched the first season. I will put that as a framework for my knowledge today. I have only watched the first season of the show. Uh, but yeah, no, until earlier this year, I had never watched any Gargoyles. And well, so I don't I don't have the nostalgia goggles or anything like that. I am just coming into this as people telling me it would be a show I would enjoy and them not necessarily being wrong. <laughs> Two things, I'm really old, and second, when you finally watch the second season, you need to report back into us. You, okay, good to know, good to know. Looking forward to it. Do you have you have a background it's in theater? A, I do, yes. You've definitely got to watch season two then. <laughs> Very Shakespearean. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard that there is much Shakespeare eventually on this show. I have, I have been told. I... It's like the things I knew about this show were very sparse going in. I'm like, I know there are gargoyles. I know some of the general lore and mechanics about that. I know people ship the main gargoyle with the girl, and that's about it. Like, that was what I knew going into this show. And I knew about the episode later in the season where uh, one of them accidentally shoots Elisa. And, like, that was it. That was all I knew about this show going in. I was like, okay. All right, and, and now we're here. Nice. And Zach, what is your background with this show? I know you came up in the early '90s. You were really young. You were watching I, Marvel and DC stuff at the time. I was. Uh, so my, but I'll tell you, I started with a lot of Disney stuff. So like, I, I'm I'm old enough to remember Ducktales and Tailspin. Um, but. It, you, when they were on syndic, you know, when they were on television and syndication and stuff. Uh, so the problem I think I had with Gargoyles was one, it would come on at 3 p.m. my local time, and I wouldn't get out of school till 3:30, so it would be like going off the air whenever I get home. So I'd only catch like episodes if I got out of school early or something, uh, or I was because I never was hardly ever sick. Um, so I didn't, it wasn't like I was staying home all day. If I, if I was not feeling great, I would try to go in until about 1030 and go from there. Um, but you know, I, I remember catching it in reruns and stuff like that. It was on Saturday mornings, I think, uh, on ABC. So I, I watched a few episodes, but it literally, it's one of those things where I didn't watch it. Like when it was on Disney X, Toon Disney, Disney XD, Disney afternoon, uh, yeah, the Disney Afternoon. Um, I think it was also on Disney XD or Toon, Toon Disney. Um, I think I watched a couple episodes there, you know, in the early aughts. But, um, yeah, so for me coming in, and I knew I knew who was on the show. I knew the voice actors, obviously. So I was a big, when I was a little kid, I was a big Star Trek Next Generation fan. So yes. I immediately picked up on, 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 uh, Thanatos and Demona and, and their voices. But, um, yeah, so I, coming into this, I had, I think I watched the first two episodes when Disney Plus launched. And then we were kind of starting to talk about the development of this. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, put this on the shelf. So I've watched the five part pilot. I watched, uh, rewatched the first two episodes and then watched the, the last three episodes of the pilot. Uh, in preparation for today. So 
you know, and I've always been such a supporter of Greg. So like both of them. Um, so, you know, Greg's always mad, you know, there are so these- many Greg's around here. Our first episode, there were three. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we have three Greg's. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, cause I have listened to the first, the, uh, most of the first episode. Um, and I've been listening to the, the, uh, no, I've listened to all the first two episodes. Sorry. And then I, I'm on episode three. I'm a little behind, even though it's my website. I'm terrible. But, um, yeah, so I am, you know, like I say, I'm super excited to be, you know, up, you know, talking to you about this. And, and we talked about doing commentaries for our Patreon. And um, the wife's like, so are we going to do a Gargoyles, like, watch-a-thon? Because <laughs> we have a Gargoyles podcast. I'm like... Yeah, so I think during the break we're going to watch some more Gargoyles uh, during the winter break with my wife. So we'll see. Maybe get my dog. Sweet. I love it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Fresh blood. My, well, see, my wife was born in 96, so she doesn't remember any of this. She remembers seeing the reruns of, like, the 90s show, um, you know, because they played that on Fox for, goodness, forever. Uh, so, um, you know, but once they got rid of, uh, the Saturday afternoon block on ABC, um, you know, gargoyles kind of went, went away, so to speak. So, um, yeah, the fact that, you know, and I always knew there was a big fan base. I'd always see, um, just the passionate, uh, fan base and knowing and, and doing spec radio with you guys, you know, finding out the, the history with you two. Jennifer and, and Greg and how it was this show that brought y'all together and Greg Wiseman. Um, yeah, it's just is, I know how profound of an impact it had. That's why I'm, I'm so excited to host this show on the, on the website. We really appreciate it, man. We really do. Thank you. My pleasure. I suppose we should, we should dive into the story now. It's a, it's a five part pilot. It's a really big story. Disney did a lot of five part pilots way back then. I, DuckTales had a five part pilot, Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, I think it was five episodes, I don't remember. Darkwing, it wasn't quite that long. But there was a time when five part pilots were the thing. Nowadays, part one, part two, part three doesn't seem to exist anymore. Every episode just, flows into the next one, as we've seen on Spectacular Spider-Man, and in this case, Young Justice. So we'll discuss this story-wise, and we'll go through the characters. And um, Emily, what were your impressions of this five-part pilot, especially coming in as a fan of Young Justice? It's good, uh, is, the, is the first general reaction. Uh, watching it on Disney+, Plus, I especially on this rewatch to re-familiarize myself for the podcast today i kept thinking i wish there was a setting on disney plus where you could watch the first five part as like one continuous movie i wish there was just a button i could press and play those five without the theme song and the next time on gargoyles interrupting it I'm like i just want to i want it to flow with just the commercial breaks um but it's it's really good and watching it for the first time earlier this year i kept thinking about how it is it holds up really well like going into this as someone who did not have like the nostalgia of it being a 90s disney show and all that uh 
because there are there are some shows from the 90s, some cartoons from the 90s that don't hold up if you try to rewatch them. But this watching it for the first time, I was like, this is just good. This is just good storytelling that is done well and is doing a lot and doing it well in the short amount of time that each of those episodes is and is covering so much ground and telling a really interesting story that introduces these characters and concepts and sets up a very, very cool world with some cool mythology. And if you've only seen the first season, it's only the tip of the iceberg. It really gets deep and crazy and in ways it's spectacular. I've heard it's been, it's been a busy year in my defense. I started watching the show and I was like, this is really good. And then, 10 million other things happened in the middle of this year. So 100%. I'll get to it eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, we definitely hope you do. We look it, it forward does to de- it. Delve more in- it does delve more into the, the mythology. Greg's basic idea is all things are true, but not necessarily accurate. So you get into like different mythologies of different cultures. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. And- that sounds very cool. I appreciated how dense this pilot was. Um, you know, looking at it over uh, as a whole, um, you know, coming from, you know, I remember, I, I distinctly remember watching the pilot to the '90s Spider-Man show, and it was okay. It was good. I mean, it was, it was Night of the Lizards is a, is a fun is a fun episode, but it was only thirty minutes long. There wasn't a lot of depth to it. You know, you had your complete story. Um, the starting here, just even after the first episode, I'm like, uh, it leaves you wanting more. Um, and so, like, like Emily said, you know, you, you kind of wish that they had like a setting to where you could just skip over the the and and watch it as it was originally aired, um, in, in the five parts. And so, for me, I, I just thought it was phenomenal. Um, the animation was great. Uh, it does hold up. There's some there's some dated '90s stuff. The computers obviously um, are a little dated, uh, but are three, you are you saying that all of the information needed to like take down a city being stored on three floppy disks feels a little weird these days? <laughs> You're considering that there's a lot of kids that are going, "That's the save button. What is that? They don't know what a floppy disk is." <laughs> you know? floppy disk. Yes. Th- three, like, like three floppy disks. I'm old disks. enough to remember. Yeah. My first computer had the six-inch floppy disk uh, that you know you had to load in, and 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 the computer didn't even boot unless you had the floppy disk in. So you know, I, I'm not. I, I know Jennifer's like I'm so old. I'm not much younger than you guys. <laughs> so uh, you know, my first one was a Tandy three. My first computer was a Tandy three thousand. Okay, like like ran, running DOS. Old school, yo. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. And then when I worked at Walmart in the mid 2000s, they're like, how do you how do you just easily navigate this? I was like, this is like my first computer before I got a Windows machine. Uh, a lot of, when there was a difference. A lot of this explains how the Steel Clan were so easily taken out. <laughs> right, right. Our, our, our smartphones are more have probably more technology than <laughs> steel car coils now. But no, I mean, it it's amazing because just the way, the the voice acting is incredible, uh, the the animation's incredible, um, 
but yeah, I mean, even though it is dated by today's standards on some of the some of the plot elements, the rest of it's timeless. Uh, I did get a little sad hearing Ed Asner's voice, though. Not gonna lie, um, but yeah, I, I like I say, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, how everybody got their names, made sense. Um, you know, also there's a lot of people, and I finally saw one in the wild um, that are excited about the uh, the toys too. So um, the, the toy collectors are getting all excited about you know the. The uh, Goliath, uh, I've seen it finally out in the wild. I didn't get it when I saw it. I should have. But, you know, uh, it's it's a good time to be a 90s kid. And it's a good time to have that 90s nostalgia. Because it's everywhere right now. Well, the 80s had it for just how long exactly? 20 years at least? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I love the 80s. Don't misunderstand. I love the 80s. But it's, it's nice to see the 90s getting some love. Though I don't understand... How mom pants became a thing again. That's just me. Uh, we all just got tired of muffin top, is what happened. So, <laughs> you know, decided to bring the the waistline up over the muffin top. That's the whole reasoning I can think. Of. Hey, that's fine. I, I just I, I never saw the draw, you know, to begin with. And but yeah, no, I completely. You're probably right, Jennifer. I acquiesce to you because I am a dude and have no idea what fat. But like. Whenever I started seeing, like, even my wife buy it, I was like, those are mom jeans. What? And she's like, but they're comfortable. And I'm like, okay. It's up to you. That's it. That's it. Like, and especially now, post-pandemic, we just focus on what's comfortable these days. (laughs) I may or may not be wearing pajama pajama pants right now. You know, I mean, it's just... just, Definitely am wearing pajama pants right now. (laughs) I work remotely. I know I am. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, no, uh, like I say, I really, really have enjoyed it. And I'll acquiesce to the rest of you to talk about more about the pilot. You mentioned the, the stunning animation. I look at this and I think they don't make them like this anymore. And I'm not looking that like, oh, it was way better back then, which is not necessarily true. But there, but when it's ink and paint colored by hand, you can tell. I mean, there are, unfortunately, there are no spectacular Spider-Man animation cells, at least as I've seen. And I think that's because... Jenny worked on that. They're all colored by it's, computers. It's all digital. Yeah. The whole thing is digital. But, you know, you look at these, and I and I own a Gargoyles animation cell. Jen, I know you own quite a few. It was a compulsion for a while. <laughs> yeah, no. We all have those. I think that was, like, one of the last series that was ink and paint. Like, shortly after that, everything went digital. Yeah, Greg has told us about how the first season was edited on a splicing machine before they got Adobe Avid for the second season. That's how far back this goes. Just the history they've accidentally put in, granted, like Greg has said, it becomes deliberate later. We cross from two, from two different centuries and two different continents. It's a really big story, and you keep saying it would be great to um, have watched it as a movie, I honestly think you could turn this into a live-action movie with very little, with very few changes. I obviously update the technology, like the three discs, but... Uh, you could update those discs to thumb drives, and I think it'd be fairly relevant. And what I was going to say is, weirdly enough, I feel like, and this just might be me, and some of the ways that I like, I love cartoons, I feel like this story almost wouldn't work in live-action just because of 
like the the suspension of disbelief that animation gives you that like all of the gargoyles look right and they look like they fit in this world and they look like this is just how this works and i feel like if you tried to do this in a live action film like it just it might it just wouldn't translate as well cuz there'd be that like that level of not being able you'd feel like they were fake no matter how well no matter how amazing the makeup or the cgi was i feel like there would be a level of the way that those creatures are designed in this show to look both so wonderfully expressive and like people and also so inhuman at the same time works perfectly in animation and i i feel like it wouldn't translate to live action as well you raise just a me thought no no you raise a very good point because I mean, Infinity War and Endgame were both really fun movies, really great, but there's, and as great as Thanos looked, that was terrific technology that did a really great job. There's a part of your brain that's never going to be completely fooled. You know he's not actually standing there with Robert Downey Jr. I agree with that. I, I think the, you know, to me, and this is a bit of me being more of a purist, and I love CGI, I don't misunderstand, but to me, if you're going to do live action, you, you almost have to do practical makeup, uh, for that exact reason, you know what I mean? I mean, as good as CGI has come, and, and you know, in the next decade, it's going to get even better. Uh, but as we get higher and higher resolution on our screens, you know, the, the technology is going to have to outpace that. And so, you know, because I, I go back and watch the first Spider-Man film, and I'm like, oh, gee, you know. Uh, the, oh, the the first one, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was dated even like you could. There was times you could tell it was CGI, but like now, especially twenty years later, almost. God, I'm so old. Um, we've been spoiled. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 we've been profoundly spoiled. So, would I love to see a live action? Sure, but I agree with you. Like, it, it would be hard to make it look as seamless as you can get away with in animation and and just animation style. I mean, look at, look at what you see on current television. I I just don't, I don't see the detail that's done in, in this, in this series because, you know, just, just the way times have changed. But I mean, the level of detail in the animation here is amazing. Especially if you, I mean, it, it, you can tell in some ways Disney was involved because they were so good at it before and they were such a gold standard that it was Disney and then nobody else. And so bringing that to a live action series of, of a completely original property, I think, is also an incredible feat. Yeah, sometimes I'll admit I think I've been unfair comparing it to some of its contemporaries at the time with it because some of those studios didn't have the resources or the money that Disney did, which is why, say, X-Men the Animated Series went to, was animated by Acom, which um, got got way better as it was rambled when it started, but it was considered a studio that was one, that was quite weak. Bruce Timm famously fired them from Batman the Animated Series. Right, right. And it was cutting edge, you know, for for a lot of people. I mean, the X Men animated series was was such a uh, cultural event. That and Batman. I mean, the the early '90s in general were in, early to mid '90s were just an incredible amount of great shows. I mean, X Men, Spider Man, Batman, uh, Gargoyles, uh, 
Animaniacs, Freakazoid. I mean, Superman the Animated Series. Like all, all these were just incredible. It was, it was so, like, I know you know Emily wasn't born in this time period, but it was such. But but being a kid, from the perspective of being a kid, being a young kid, you had such great shows and we didn't realize how what what the quality was right we 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 were just profoundly entertained you know i go back and watch some of like the older cartoons on disney plus and you're like oh so that's what that was like you know and i, I grew up on tailspin and and and, and ducktales and darkwing duck like those were those were my jam um but and they were all great in their own ways we were spoiled we didn't know it though. Like we were so spoiled. And I look at cartoons now and I'm like, to me, it just, uh, and I, I feel like this is old man yelling at cloud a little bit, but to me, the quality just isn't as good. And I think that, that we nineties kids have such a high expectation because our floor was so high. If that makes sense. Well, let's be fair. Every era has its great stuff and every era has its stuff that doesn't sure. hold up. As we've said, we tend to look, we tend to look at rose colored glasses and remember the great stuff without remembering, you know, I'm not going to name names. There were some, there's a reason why a lot of the things aren't remembered now that were on at the time and maybe even popular. But right. every, the, the trend now more is, is stylization yeah. and not less of the, um, you know, more, more proportional and, and, comic booky kind of look yeah they're they've gone very stylized which i don't think is a bad thing no uh, it's it's just very different it's it's chocolate and vanilla they're both ice cream right and it sort of yeah. gives young justice and a more old school look to it at the same time compared to a lot of its contemporaries right now oh yeah i mean young justice yeah just just and I, granted i've not watched last i have not watched season four yet I'm, it's I'm, good <laughs> to get there don't yell at me uh but i but never it came out of nowhere people are busy (laughs) it is so frustrating as somebody that you know was so heavily involved with stuff with spectacular radio after or with spectacular spider-man after the fact to see like they didn't they didn't do a lot of advertising they just said here it dropped and we're like wait what i remember like i mean so it, it, it catches people off guard and that's the one bad thing about I feel like streaming today is that they can drop at any time and you don't have the advertising the way that you know traditional media would give you I mean you would have a premiere a season premiere you would have a month's worth of advertising to get you hyped up for that season premiere now grant, granted I know most people DVR things and they just you know, fast forward the commercials, but you know, I, I have a question for the group, though. Yes, could sure. This, could this show debut now and be as much of a cultural touchdown? That's a very good question. I mean, I would like to think so, but I think like okay, like fresh. No one's ever heard of gargoyles before, and it comes on the scene now. In a time where comic book movies and fantasy TV shows and movies are at their height, I really think it would be pretty well uh, accepted. The reception would be very good for it, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. 
uh, I, I just was, you know, it's one of those things where you, when you sit here and you, you watch this pilot, you're like, man, I mean, I, I heard the April Fool's Day joke and I was so excited for Greg and, and everybody that would, oh. it was a cruel, cruel joke. It was a cruel it was a, joke. And it wouldn't and die. It was a great Fool's Day joke. And I was like, oh man. And that it sucks. wouldn't die. For those of you who don't know, a few years ago in 2014, uh, some website posted an April Fool's joke saying a movie was coming out in 2017. And we had to tell people there wasn't. It was an April Fool's joke every other day for three years. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Did you look at the date? What? Did you look at the date? Like, there's good April Fool's Day jokes. And then there's ones that are like that, that, that are tend to be cruel. And it's, uh, especially when you have a, when you have a fan base, it's built in. That's mm-hmm. like passionate. And Emily, what were you going to say about the, yeah. So I was, I was letting it all play out, uh, to circle back to the original question. I think if this show premiered now, if all other, this is, and this is a weird way to put this, but if all other media up to this point had unfolded the exact same way and Gargoyles came out now, having never been out before, I feel like it almost wouldn't be as impactful because I feel like Gargoyles was doing some things before anything else was. And so much of what we've gotten after Gargoyles kind of, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. I feel like if the show came out, not less impressive as it stands, but less revolutionary in a few ways. Like, I feel like this show was doing things earlier than a lot of other shows. And we have since gotten shows also doing those things. And so it would almost, it's that thing where when you, it's like, I'm going to say this as as an English major, as an English major nerd of like, sometimes you read certain pieces of classic literature and you can predict every plot twist, but it's only because this was the first thing to do the thing. And so now everything does that. And it feels almost cliched. Whereas I feel like Gargoyles was one of those early nineties shows that was doing some of these like darker elements and more complex storytelling for the first time in animation. And now we've seen that so much more. That if this show sprung into being fully formed in 2021, we'd be like, well, yeah, animation does that now. (laughs) Not that it's bad. It's just that it was so early. It's now become something that we expect from like top tier fantasy animation. I get what you're saying. It's like a pre-Avatar The Last Airbender World versus a post-Avatar The Last Airbender World, because that was a big... Exactly what I was thinking. ...impactful series. Yeah, there... Yeah, I can agree with that. And that was kind of where I was... Uh, that's where I was kind of wondering with my question, too, is what was what you were saying, Emily, is that it, it, it's such a, it was such a touchstone, and it kind of came out at a perfect time, but also at the wrong time, I feel like. You know what I mean? Because of the fact that you know fantasy and it kind of it kind of straddles that line, but it makes you wonder if you know without it, would we have gotten things like Avatar? You know, things would there would there have been studios willing to take the chances that that Disney took with this property? Very good questions. We could dive, we should dive into the characters right about now. I mean, we can go through the heroes first. I mean. Obviously, we live in an age of heroes, uh, at least in our uh, media. Superheroes are all over the place, have been for a while, and 
how does Goliath stack up as a hero, do we think? Because there's an element of tragedy to him. It, he's almost like an old-school Shakespearean hero. There's a suicide moment with him in episode two. First of all, the dulcet tones of uh, of Goliath's voice actor. I just, just buttery smooth uh, and just so good. But yeah, I mean, for, for a character like that to have a suicide, you know... Again, I, watching this, the I'm watching this. I'm going, what they got? We're able to get away with, you know, with the with the fight scenes and and the and the guns and stuff like that was so you know, especially growing up in the '90s with Spider-Man the animated series where Spider-Man couldn't punch a pigeon. Um, not true, but that's a, that's a running joke. But yeah, I, Goliath is such a such a dense deeply layered character that you feel at, at the end of the pilot really sorry for him and you could feel the weight of the of of him trying to straddle through through both worlds by the time you get through the pilot and, and the all the emotions and this guy went from you know trusting humans to being cursed by humans to being awakened to being betrayed to being betrayed again by the love of his life to and, but, and the only good thing is that he found a he found one friend. You know, um, it was a really bad week for him. <laughs> he had it. You know, he could have he could have. I mean, to, to steal a cliche, he could have been the Joker. One bad day, right? But you know, he still maintains his presence. He still maintains his morals. He still maintains his uh, integrity and his brutal honesty. You know, it's refreshing to to have heroes that, in an age, you know, in a world where the antihero is, you know, so, we see it so often, to have a pretty a layered character, but one that's very clearly defined. You, you know, he's pretty black and white, but there's still depth to it. There's not the shades of gray that you know you see so many shows like this do. Where Goliath is a good guy, and he maintains that throughout the entirety of, even without with with the really bad week, and I acquiesce to everybody else because I feel like I'm filibustering. I feel like um, coming to this show much later than everyone else. Clearly, uh, one of the things that I found so interesting about Goliath is the the level of like gentleness and vulnerability that they were able to give this character who is clearly who is a goliath he is this giant incredibly strong monster man and they're like also we're going to repeatedly show him being like surprisingly soft-spoken and caring and kind to people and i'm like this is really just interesting and such an interesting uh like dichotomy to include in this character, especially in something that was so early in the nineties of like, we weren't really seeing those layers of characterization it that early on in media, especially media aimed at kids. Uh, and yeah, that really stands out to me along with everything everyone's already been saying. 
Let's talk about Elisa Maza. Now, she was definitely ahead of her time. We find out later she's biracial. She's the daughter of a African-American woman and a Native American man. She uh, And she's not the damsel in distress. She, during a pilot, she saves Goliath's life just as often as he saves her, and it proceeds that way throughout the course of the series. She's never a damsel in distress. At a time when April O'Neil was a household name. Yeah. I mean, April O'Neil was at times it felt like she was a plot device, you know, as somebody that was a giant fan of team and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, you know, Eliza here is just she's badass. And Elisa, not, not Eliza. <laughs> Elisa, Elisa, sorry, Lisa. You know, at, at times some 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 would say that that modern media, when they want to portray a female badass. Uh, they'll be like, oh, they're trying too hard. It's effortless here because it's really well written and it makes sense within the world that they're building here. And I don't, I don't buy the whole trying too hard thing personally, but uh, because and, and my perspectives definitely changed since I've had a daughter. But you know, when we sit down and we watch this show, and if my daughter decides she wants to watch it with dad, uh, I'm not going to force it on her. But um, you know. This is a character that I'd be like, yeah, you should be like her. You know? Um, be strong, courageous. And, uh, you know, she just does... You're right. She's she, gentle, too. She has her gentle moments as well. And that's okay. She, that doesn't take away from her status as a badass. Right. And I loved that about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, the, the time... She's very... It, it becomes very touching whenever she's seeing... You know, right before, you know, when when he turns back and when Goliath turns into stone and she's like got this protection, she's protecting him. Um, you know that that gentleness comes shines through. I mean, she sits there and sitting next to a giant slab of stone, you know, and in Central Park. Um, yeah. I I loved it. I, I just she's awesome. She was her and Goliath obviously are, are my two favorites. And Xanatos, but for entirely different reasons. <laughs> we'll get to Xanatos in a bit. <laughs> so uh Aliza is wonderful and amazing and is a fantastic character, but if we're talking about women on this show, I will say I will say my one complaint about watching the first five episodes of Gargoyles, and you all can Tell me if I'm wrong or not, if you feel like it. I, If I could go back in time and change one thing about this show, there should be at least two more female gargoyles, and they should be on this team, and they should be cool and good and have personalities. Uh, because it, the cast of characters that we have on this show is amazing, and Eliza is a fantastic female hero, but it is very disappointing to watch this show uh as as a woman and go our team is made up of what is it it's six male gargoyles and we have one human girl and we have one uh female gargoyle and she's evil when your entire main team of good gargoyles is six dudes including the dog who is also a dude it gets i'm just like could we could we have one Lady Gargoyle, who's uh, who's a hero? Just I one? Think, yeah, I think if this was written 
even five or six years later, you'd you'd yep. you'd yeah. be you'd have your one or two female. Um, but unfortunately, one of the things about this show—it's one of the few things about this show that makes me go, "Ah, this was written in the '90s," just because that was such a thing in '90s action media. Of you could have maybe one girl, but even then, our one girl doesn't get to be a cool gargoyle who gets to you know glide yeah. and have claws and stuff. Um, I absolutely 100% agree with you. There should have been more strong women, especially the good guys, gargoyles. Um, in the next season, we get to, we get a lot of strong women in this between Elisa's mother and sister, uh, Elisa's boss. Uh, the captain, the police captain is also a female. Um, and, uh, we do get more female gargoyles later in the series. Uh, one that very prominently becomes part of the plan. Um, that is wonderful to hear. But we do get that, but I absolutely 100% agree with you that it should have been from the get go that we had that stronger representation there. When prepping for this episode to record this episode i went and tracked down uh the texts i had sent to uh to the whelmed team when i first started watching this a couple months back when i watched the first season uh and i thought i would share with you the uh new york themed names i came up with for these hypothetical female gargoyles that should have existed back in season one yes Yes. which were uh the three that I threw out were uh, Tribeca, Bryant, and Astoria as very good uh, Lady Ooh, Gargoyle like names. Astoria. Nice. Astoria's a good name. For... I did, too. <laughs> Astoria's nice. It is. I have a friend who lives in Astoria. Uh, <laughs> uh, Neil, our producer over on Whelmed, suggested in response to mine, Madison, Staten, and Bowery as other options. And I'm like, Yes. We're just over here being like, definitely, these are good ones. I like it. When, when we have, here's our long list of other New York names for the hypothetical lady gargoyles that should have been on this team. Hey, Greg, if you, ever, if, you, if you ever get to make gargoyles 2198, <laughs> I offer these, these ideas free of charge. <laughs> yeah, just you, you got you to put that disclaimer in there because, you know, it's, yes, or Greg. Because we know how he is about spoilers. Yes, he oh, is. Yes. One, one of the things that I pointed out, you never get a next time on Gargoyles after the pilot, and um, I'm a little bit surprised, granted he was a younger man then, that Mr. Spoiler Request No Comment put those in there in the first place. Yeah, but I also understand the time period of which it was being released. That was just kind of standard operating procedure. Yeah. Especially for those first five episodes that are so closely linked because they were just conceived as five parts of one story. Uh, If you were airing those separately on separate days, you kind of needed to give kids like a, we promise there will be answers. Mm -hmm. uh, That's fair. Kind of thing with those ones. And especially when it was in reruns, you know, when when they were doing things in reruns. Um, Remind me again, Greg, was this 92 or 94 94. when this was debuted? 94. Okay, so it would have been in development. I just in my head I started thinking Power Rangers and you know, because they had two two female cast members. 
you know? So I, I know it would have been in development in, like, what, 92, 93? They, they started development in 1991. 91, okay. So, but, yeah, I mean, you look at... Um, how much things changed just from 94 to 98, uh, you know, it, you would have had more of that female representation. And so, um, I'm glad that, that that's something I could look forward to. We only count the first two seasons though. We don't count season three, right? Just kidding. I'm no. kidding. We do not talk about season three. <laughs> it's so bad. Season yes. three is like, Baltimore. yeah, yes. And, um, the season that's not named. Yeah, I've yeah. Moving on, I have seen some negative reactions to people who have just watched the five-part pilot to the trio of younger gargoyles who feel like they're Ninja Turtles knockoffs and stuff. And I'll admit, even there's a part of me that says, you know, if I strip everything back from myself and I look at just these, I can I don't agree, but I can sort of see where they're coming from. Never mind the fantastic character development that all three of them go through in later episodes throughout the series, and they develop. Well, beyond that, what were your impressions of Brooklyn, Lexington, and Broadway? As the, per- as the person who's found this the most recently, uh, the, the second you said Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I was like, oh, yeah, they do have that vibe, don't they? Because uh, that had not clicked until you said it, but as soon as you said it, I'm like, yeah, a little bit. It's They are... Very much like watching these this first episode, you can very kind of clearly see the ensemble makeup that was so much of like 90s and even 2000s cartoon teams where it's like you have the hero and you have the second in command and then you have the cool one and the kid and the comic relief one and kind of like that breakdown is kind of very clear if you break these characters down to like their most base elements. Uh, And I don't think they're, I don't think they're annoying. I did not find them annoying, uh, especially having rewatching this after having watched the rest of the first season and seeing that they do all go through some stuff. Uh, I think it's just that in that first, those first, the pilot, they, are supposed to be very young and they're supposed to be kind of naive and not getting it. And I can understand people being annoyed, but I think the annoyance comes not from who they are or what they're doing, but more from the fact that they are juxtaposed against like Goliath having a Shakespearean tragedy. And then every now and then we cut away to these three teenagers figuring out a motorcycle. Uh, And that, and like that scene is, fine but when your brain is trying to wrap around both of these things happening simultaneously i can kind of understand the frustrations of some people coming to it now and being like wait i'm still i'm still emotionally processing like gargoyle scream gargoyle goliath screaming on a cliff in the rain and you're telling me i gotta keep up with these three (laughs) kind of Uh, legit they were fun um they're fun. They are. I, I remember, and I, and I, I, I remember the, the few episodes that I did watch because it was a handful and it, they weren't obviously in order. I, I remember them being more developed. So seeing the origins of them was a, a little different. So my perspective is probably a little different than Emily's. But for me, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. The, the whole, the whole 
bit with the motorcycle thing where they, you know, crash it and the, the explosions. I'm like, yes. Uh, then I, I got excited about explosions. Okay. In my cartoons. But yeah, no, I, it, it was a lot. It, it, it provided a little bit of a relief from, and I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but like there, there is a lot of seriousness with Goliath's story. Betrayal, Shakespearean, there's a lot of heft to it. So to make it slightly palatable for a younger audience, you got to almost have those types of things in there. And so logistically, I understood it. And I guess, you know, watching it as an adult, obviously a little different than, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to get the six year old to try to watch it with me and I'll get her perspective on it. But trying to keep her attention right now is like, that of a gnat. So she has yeah. this attention span of a gnat. Yeah. Logistically, I think all of their kind of side plots make perfect sense and they are, they're fun and they're funny, but like I, and I enjoyed all of it watching it for the first time, but I can still kind of understand the idea of people coming to it and being like, can these three just stop goofing around for five seconds? Can we get back to the tragedy? Uh, but again, I like them. They're fun. They're doing their best. They're just kids trying. And they get better. <laughs> and then there's Hudson, the veteran gargoyle warrior voiced by the late, great Ed Asner. You mean Splinter? Oh, I mean, oh, sorry. <laughs> Wait, Splinter? Ed Asner was Splinter? No. <laughs> no. I'm just cool. going on with the team. MNT thing. Okay, I got you. I got although Spl- you. although Splinter's voice actor is in these, he's a cyberbiotics commander up on the airship. There we go. Uh, but no, I I liked I I like Hudson. Uh, hearing Ed Asner with a Scottish accent's always fun. Being a bit of a curmudgeon, I I appreciate I I'm more and more the older I get, I relate more to Hudson than I do. I do the teenagers. So say we all. I find myself being the old man that yells at Cloud. Yeah, I'll admit, if I were in this world, if I were him, I'd probably be doing the same thing. Just sitting back in the easy chair, watching television, letting the younger ones figure out the new century. Yeah, I miss my easy chair. As I was watching, I was like, oh, man, I miss my easy chair. Not not, not that my couch isn't comfortable and my oversized chair isn't not comfortable but like there's there's nothing better than a good recliner i also i also love bronx like unironically because he reminds me of my dog sometimes bronx is smarter than all of them put together (laughs) oh emily do you have any opinions or thoughts on hudson before we move on to the next character (laughs) sorry i was just letting you all run i don't i don't i don't have much to add to all that (laughs) just just jump in good i don't have much to add he's good it's good I do find it very funny that the the scene of him getting his name feels very much like he just shows up and is like, I'm here to get a character name. And then he leaves and it works and it's fine. And it's 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 lovely. The entire thing around surrounding that. And like, I get that he's there to make sure Goliath is OK and all that. But he literally arrives, has a few lines of dialogue with Elisa and is like, you're good. Bye. And just <laughs> glides away. I'm like. Okay, you've gotten your character name. We know who you are. 
Good to know. And now we've established how everybody else is going to get their names. Thank you very yeah. much, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Although one thing I like about that scene, I think, especially that way they look at him silently when after he picks at Lisa up, I think he sees the chemistry between them before anyone else does. Oh, he absolutely does. <laughs> I absolutely, absolutely love that look he gives, though. That just, like, really, really okay. All right. We're doing this again. He's like, that look of just like, okay, I'll just... I'll just go now. You okay. glides away. Not getting involved in whatever this is. <laughs> exactly. And I suppose we should move on to the villains of the piece now. We'll start small before we move on to the two big ones. I mean, granted, the role wasn't small, but Hakon is absolutely repulsive in that way that Clancy Brown can only bring to the table, and the captain of the guard, you sympathize with this guy, at least I do, in spite of what he inadvertently caused, this terrible thing. I mean, inadvertently? Are we calling that inadvertently? Well, the, ma- well, the massacre, not the betrayal of the castle, <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, the, the massacre, yes, I yeah, completely understand. Uh, Clancy Brown, I mean... No more needs to be said. Just just say his name. The Kurgan. I mean, I mean, as somebody that grew up on the Highlander, even though that, yes, he's more known as Mr. Krabs. Uh, but even then, I mean, you could argue that Mr. Krabs is the villain of, of SpongeBob. So he just he just placed he placed the bad guy so well, and no good, matter what he's doing. And good guys. He's a mainstay of all of Greg's shows. I mean, he was the the Rhino and Captain George Stacy on Spectacular Spider-Man. And he was, in one episode of Young Justice, the uh, Interpol agent King Faraday. He made me love Captain Stacy. He really did. Like, he was just so good with it. He's hot. Yeah, he brought a lot of depth to that role. Because normally it's just, you know, grand. it's like, you know, Elderly dad, you know, Beaver Cleaver type character in the comics. But, you know, with Spack Spidey, he's more well-rounded. And I think that was a very, very well... Part of it's the writing, but also I, I think, you know, he brought that to... What he brought to it, yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, but no, here he's he's just deliciously evil. And I, when he gets to, like, ham it up and have the time of his life... It's always a win. Do we have any further thoughts on them before we move on to the main course of baddies? So this is not exactly a thought on on him, but with the uh, as part of just the whole 994 uh, plotline, the backstory plotline, rewatching these episodes, one of the things that stood out to me that I thought was an interesting subtle thing is there is the scene in the first episode, first or second episode where uh, Goliath and Demona walk into the dining hall to, after saving the castle and all that. And the princess says something where she's like, we, we shall not have beasts in the dining hall or something like that. That is supposed to be incredibly dismissive and unkind. And one of the things that I find really interesting in that scene, if you look in the background, there are literal dogs sitting around on the floor. And that just makes that insult so much better in such a subtle way of like yeah. this, this character who thinks so lowly of the gargoyles that it's like, dogs are fine. You can't be here. 
just, a, just I, to hammer home how everything that those characters have to go through in those flashbacks. I think Greg is going to be very happy you said that. When we discussed Awakening Part 1, he mentioned that when she said that a dog was supposed to jump up on the table and eat food right off of her plate to highlight her hypocrisy, but the animation didn't look right, and he was afraid that a lot of people wouldn't notice the hypocrisy because of that. So he'll be happy. I'm sure you made his day. You just made, made, yeah, you made Wiseman's day. Congratulations. Uh, This is my job. Several years of doing this with Young Justice, I noticed the weird random background details where I'm like, that's there for a reason. Yeah, yeah. There's never like just something random in a Greg show. There's (laughs) it's called rewatchability, people. All right, let's move on to the main course. David Xanatos himself will get to his business partner right after this. Because this is a guy who helped redefine villainy in a lot of ways, and in some ways He's never left the Wiseman show. There's a little bit of Xanatos and Tombstone and Norman Osborn and Spectacular Spider-Man. And Lord knows there's quite a bit of Xanatos in the light, especially Lex Luthor and even Vandal Savage and Young Justice. And he's the guy who always has a plan, contingencies, and he is so goddamn charming. What do you think of this guy? Oh, I loved him. As a child of the 90s that grew up reading Spider-Man during the Clone Saga and post-Clone Saga with Norman Osborn being a magnificent bastard, I always appreciate such a character like that, where he just is swarmy and slimy, but you can't help but not like him. So, excellent work by 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 both Jonathan Frakes and... and, and and Greg's writing together because they just he is the best of all those aforementioned characters um, full credit words know, to Michael Reeves' script as well yeah Michael Reeves uh, he did a great job on the scripting but yeah no he does it just just he is so like you you know he's the bad guy like in your head you know he's the bad guy but as as he goes along, you have those seeds of doubt, thinking, "Is he really that bad? Oh, he doesn't seem really that bad." And then you know he full on goes into villainy towards the end of the end of the uh, the pilot, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, he's a bad guy," <laughs> but you want to like him, which is the best type of bad guy. Like a couple of, you feel like that he would be far more benevolent if a couple of things went differently in life. But he also doesn't think he's the bad guy. He thinks he's doing everything. Yeah, you know. that's the that's the key right there. He's pretty sure he's not the bad guy. He's opportunistic, but not bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that does make a profound difference too. In in how characters are portrayed, because like he's not the bad guy in his brain. You know, we're all the hero of our own story, but. Sometimes you just make the bad choices, but you don't think they're bad because, you know, in his brain, the ends justify the means. Emily, I'm going to shut up for a minute. No notes. Agree with all of the above. Uh, he is the coiner of a trope. Like, there's a reason that, that there is a concept called the Xanatos Gambit now in in media. Like, that idea of just, no matter how this goes, I win. Uh 
and getting to see that unfold, especially over the five-part pilot that has so much room for all of the different pieces to fit together. Of like, no matter how this turned out, he would have seemed like he won. And it's really interesting to watch that unfold. It's done really well. Uh, Jonathan Frakes does an incredible job of just making this character work. I agree with everything that has been said. Nothing to add. One thing I am going to add is I've seen lately among online nerd fandom a little bit of backlash to that type of villain. And I've seen, unfortunately... And I think unjustifiably Young Justice really get that because there's a lot of people who don't like the idea that the light pulls off these victories the way they do or that they use misdirection as a strategy a lot of the time. And I always thought the light was very well written. I understood it. Xanatos is well written. Maybe in this day and age where a lot of times we don't see justice come to bad guys we want more of that catharsis where the bad guy gets soundly defeated. Well, I'm I'm also glad that we've veered away from the days of Bebop and Rocksteady too, though. Like yes. the, the the bumbling bad guys that just can't get it right. Um, like I, yeah, a happy medium would be nice. And I almost feel like if we're talking about Young Justice, I almost feel like the evolution from Xanatos to the Light in Young Justice is the idea of that it that it would take more people to make it work like part of the reason i feel like the light kind of works with this concept really well of like no matter what happens we win is because you have more moving parts and you have more people thinking through the problem like xanatos does have that that character trait of just he is somehow the smartest man ever and at least with the light you kind of get that that which works for a villain especially in the 90s of just being like sure that's just that is how he's the villain he's the smartest man ever uh and then the evolution into the light being like maybe no one man could pull this off but we have a team of like the 10 best people at making this work all working together in concert with all of their allies maybe we could make this work I mean, yeah, they've got Vandal Savage, Lex Luthor, and Ra's al Ghul. We used to have Ra's al Ghul on the same team. That's just a bad day. Yeah, it just doesn't bode well for the good guys. With yeah. that. Like, they're yeah. bad enough on their own, working together. You know. And, like, and also even, like, to, to dive into Season 3 of Young Justice for a moment. Not Season 4, not the one that's currently going on, so these are couple-year-old spoilers. Season 3 introduced the idea that, like, the Light and the Justice League have a weird level of there is a line you do not cross because you know that that line ruins everything. Like, there is a whole episode in Season 3 that establishes that the Light knows about the the identities of the families and children of everyone on the league. And the only reason that nobody crosses that line and hurts any of them is because they know the league would just go, okay, gloves are completely off. We're just going to destroy you now. And so there is that weird level of the only way this works is if everyone agrees that there is not a line, there is a line that no one crosses. And like that kind of complicated villain dynamic 
of, yes, they may be the smartest people in the world. And no matter how this happens, everything works out in their favor because they've planned for every eventuality, whatever. But also there is something there are some things that you cannot do as the villain because, you know, doing that would bring down all of the powers of every superhero in existence on you and there would be no getting out. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, mutually assured destruction, you know, yes. uh, you know, like, uh, you know, we we have our lane. You have your lane. We don't dir- diverge because then it's just bad for humanity in general. You come into our lane. We'll push you back into yours. Yeah. But yeah. If you bust into our lane like you're going to stay here, it's on. Oh, you decide to, you know, break out the jackhammers and jackhammer the lane. Then that's that's an issue, you know. Um, but yeah, no. Th- getting back to this, I mean, just the Machiavellian nature of him is delicious. And for as good as Goliath is as a character, he I, he's not he wouldn't be as good of a character if he didn't have as good of a villain in the modern day. Every hero needs a great villain. Spider-Man, Green Goblin. Oh, you mentioned Green Goblin. We mentioned how there's a little bit of Xanatos and Spectaculars, Norman Osborn. Well, one thing that Norman Osborn and the light differ from, Norman, as we know, will cross that line. And if it, and if Spectacular Spider-Man had continued, he might have. We don't know. Greg isn't talking. But we all know what's We, we might have seen some snap, crackle, and pop. <laughs> oh. Oh, wow. I made silence. Moment of silence for it. Yeah, moment of silence for a story from 1973. Was it 73? Yeah. Yeah, 70, I think. I don't remember. Yeah. And now there's the other villain of the piece. Full disclosure, she's one of my favorite characters of all time. I've got her oh, tattooed my on God. my... Yeah, I've got her tattooed on my lower leg, drawn by this woman who is uh, co-host in this podcast with me. <laughs> Demona. And what a delicious, passionate villain she is. I mean... Her voice is on the beginning of the show. Every episode. You could tell that everybody, voice acting-wise, was having the time of their lives. But yeah. you could just... Just the, the deliciousness of, of Demona was... When, when she finally shows her true colors... And the, and, and the, it goes back... It's, it's the anti... You know... Uh, the antithesis of Elisa. Lisa, sorry. Um, I'm going to get that right before the end of the episode. You know, she's very gentle and very strong, but so is Demona. And, but she's also been hardened by the centuries of everything that's, that happened to her. And, you know, the wickedness of mankind being on display. And so you completely empathize with her, but you also understand that, you know, she is a character that is very commanding on the screen too. And the dichotomy of you know the love the the two lovebirds that you see early in the first couple episodes at the end of the episode when she makes her triumphant return it's not a good thing for Goliath and the rest of the gargoyles. And also how often do you see the main character the main villain essentially be Especially in a kid, in a quote unquote kids show, the hero and the villain are essentially, for all intents and purposes, a divorced couple. Yeah. 
I think I did. I, I think I identify that more now being a divorcee than I probably would have if I watched this five years ago, six years ago. So, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, in so many instances with divorced couples, there's a lot of anger, resentment, bitterness. And these two definitely have that without ever being officially divorced, so to speak. I think there's heartbreak there, too. Like, neither of them ended up being who the other thought they were. Exactly. Exactly. And you're right. I mean, there is a ton of heart, even with the divorce, too. There's a ton of heartbreak because you're it's a I, I describe that as, as the death of as a death, not necessarily just a breakup. It's a death because you were trying to build something together. And that was um, faded away or taken away in some cases. And it's a lot to process. A lot of dense storytelling from a kid's show. I'm doing air quotes for those that because we're not doing this video, so you can't see my air quotes, but uh, everybody else can. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's so good. So good. So, Emily, what do you think of our other female, <laughs> our cool female gargoyle? Yes, because she is. She's a very cool female gargoyle, and it's very, it's wonderful in those flashbacks of setting up, like, she is an extremely trusted and competent combatant. She is a warrior. She is second in command. And I'm like, all of these things are amazing. And then also she's the main villain, which is this complicated thing where I'm like, she is a fabulous and interesting villain and she has complex motivations and she's not entirely wrong. And that's part of what makes it so interesting in a kid's show of being like, there are layers, there is depth, there is gray area. Uh, but also there should be more there should be more lady gargoyles this this is the hill i will die on uh and wiseman agreed with you fabulous villain and it is very cool seeing a show from the 90s that has a female villain this layered and this complex because female villains did exist in the 90s but they often didn't get to be this cool and didn't get to have this much of a point uh because demona is demona is wrong we should, you know, killing all of the people forever for the entirety of history, for whatever reason, is never a good idea. Uh, hot take. But I mean, also has a some people think Thanos was right. So I don't Nope. Uh, but she also, especially in the Scotland plotline, has a point when she points out that like we should not be treated like this because they shouldn't they're fine they're fine complex people they're people the gargoyles are people who live on a different sleep schedule and they have a bunch of people telling them they're not and that's not fair yeah, so it's it used to work totally night, like, valid i understand this so much more than i used to and it's totally valid for her to point out like we should not just accept people being cruel to us and that is a valid point to make especially like living as a woman and hearing a woman in a position of power say people treat us horribly and we should not accept it i'm like yeah i get that (laughs) but it's the fact that she takes that 
several steps over several lines that turns yeah, her into a villain. Yes, I am not. I am not going to say Demona did nothing wrong. She did. I'm just saying, especially in the flashbacks, you fully understand where she is coming from, and I think part of what makes her such an interesting villain on this show is rewatching these episodes, especially. There is this feeling to her character that if she had been left alone in life, she would not have sought out violence and cruelty. She is not evil for evil's sake. She is a character misguidedly seeking retribution where I'm like, there's an alternate universe out there where like her and Goliath lived happily in 994 Scotland, far away from humans and none of this happened. And there were no problems (laughs) that universe exists somewhere and makes sense. (laughs) So she's right. Humanity was definitely the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Demona was right. Uh, listen, I Magneto was right. The Demona was right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's it's not that she's right. It's that she has a point that she takes in the wrong direction. Takes it a little too far. Yes, she does. Yeah. And she is her own really worst like, enemy in that respect. Very we'll much. So. And it's so was- it's like if. If Demona had been like, people treat us horribly and we shouldn't accept that, and everyone had gone, yeah, that's true. We should maybe have a conversation with everyone in this castle about that and maybe, you know, come to some agreements, talk about our feelings. Like, everything could have worked out. But instead, everybody jumped to attacking castles and making deals with enemies and falling down just rabbit holes of mutually assured destruction. Yes. Yeah, Communication saves gargoyle lives is what I'm saying here. Absolutely. That should be a t-shirt. Okay, getting down off my soapbox. Communication saves gargoyle lives. No, Coming no. soon to the Spectrude merch store. <laughs> but no, it's 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 true in so many ways. I mean, especially I mean people who extremism is a problem. People embrace these extreme viewpoints to the point where all of a sudden we stop listening to each other. We get so polarized. We get into our bubbles, and it's uh, not a good thing. At the same time, we all have to share this world, or because what's the alternative? Yeah, I and mean, especially that very culturally culturally relevant today with the hyperpolarization that we ex- we're experiencing as a society. Um, you know, the inability to communicate with one another is something that is so profound where neither side want neither side of the extremes wants to give an inch you know the humans in this case profoundly thought they were in the right but they weren't clearly i mean the people the very people that were protecting them from invasion at a time when frankly they were very good at invading the vikings were um you know, you shouldn't shouldn't uh, bite the hand that feeds you in this case. And listening to listen and not listening to respond would have made a profound difference. I mean, it's a fanta- fantastic ways to write villains. I mean, I they're two of my favorites to this very day for a variety of reasons, which we'll be discussing throughout the course of future shows. And I'm glad that they both worked for you. 
because I've, I've always said a hero is only as good as its villain, a movie or a show is only as good as its villain, because in a lot of ways the villain carries the show just as much as a hero does, if not case, even more so. I agree. And this one's for Emily, because I know you're, you've sp- talked about shipping a lot on Whelmed, and to the point where you made me understand the whole fandom behind shipping in ways I didn't before that. I used to wonder why, So, um, but you've really enlightened me on this, and... Um, so did Jen, especially with with her um, love of the uh, Dean Castiel ship over on Supernatural. <laughs> yes, yes, we'll die on that hill. <laughs> Jim <Okay>. Dustiel trash. <laughs> so, um, Goliath and Elisa and future possibilities. I won't spoil right here and now for you whether or not it does become canon, but uh, heckin' cute is what we'll go with for now. Uh, in in true being aggressively me fashion, like one of the few things I knew about this show going in was people telling me like, oh yeah, like Goliath and Elisa, they're they're cute. They're a thing. You should that's a thing. People ship them. Uh because because people know me and know that the quickest way to get me to watch something is be like, hey, so like it's a fantasy action show, but also there's a romance subplot. And I'm like, oh, you had my attention. Now you have my interest. Um, <laughs> perfect. And as, and like the, it's, it's just cute and fun. I know this was around the same time as like Beauty and the Beast, which favorite Disney movie. So like it's there. The vibe is there. We can all see that vibe happening. Um, Right, but yes, it's very clear. Um, uh, it, it just worked, you know. It, uh, Disney Disney knows when Disney stumbles into a formula, they just like, nah, we're we're, we're leaning into this. Yes, uh, it works. But one of the things I'll say from the this is this is a being a person who runs a Young Justice podcast moment, real quick. Uh, this is yet to be explained in the first season of watching this show, but I do. This is one of the few pieces of larger gargoyles lore that I do know, because of course this is the piece of gargoyles lore that I know. That they invented the idea of gargoyles like touching each other's hair as a sign of affection. Am I correct here? Yes. Am I remembering my yes, lore correctly? The, yes, they did. They came up with that for gargoyles, and it's it works wonderfully, even like not as an explicitly explained thing. You see it in these first couple of episodes with Demona and Goliath, and it works very well in context as being like a non-human way of expressing affection. And it's good. And I, I love that nonsense in my fantasy. I love different fantasy creatures and cultures coming up with weird ways of showing affection. Uh, love it. And I think it is very cool that many years later, uh, over a decade later in Young Justice one of the this came back because with the tie-in comics there was a whole thing with Queen Bee having to mind control multiple people and there was a problem with the censors for this being a tie-in comic for a kids show at the era it was being released where 
they had initially had the art be that she kissed people to mind control them. But one of the people that she mind controls is Marie Logan, Beast Boy's mom. Uh, and even though the panel was like them a couple inches apart and not even actually kissing, it was the censors decided it was uh, too explicit for a children's comic and they had to change it. And so they changed both panels of her kissing both people, so both a man and a woman, uh, so that there would be consistency. And because if they had to change one of them, they decided they should change both of them because that's only fair. A decision. Uh, and they changed it to Queen Bee stroking their hair as both a good way of communicating that and a callback to Gargoyles, which I think is just interesting and cool because of course this is the piece of lore that i know about gargoyles <laughs> because of who i am as a person <laughs> no that's You're great right. this is a show with complicated time travel and mythology and everything and it's like emily what's the thing you know i i know the gargoyle wave that's not not kissing but like it's that it's essentially that i know that but that's what i know that's fantastic that's, I, I, I know what my brand is <laughs> You know what your brand is. You lean into it. it it's like me and clones. Okay, like I'm well, not even a fan of like Star Wars clone stuff. And everybody like, oh, those clones. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, <laughs> I, I I take it. The difference is I am a fan of this nonsense. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and um, on the subject of ships, the Goliath and Demona ship, it does remain interesting. I'll give spoilers for what they don't do, and essentially what I'm glad they don't do. They never, well, they never come close to reconciling, although Goliath does try for a little bit before he puts the final coffin on that one. No, no, he doesn't kill or anything. It's just the the, the idea of them getting back together because Cargoyle's mate for life. So the idea of his mate being alive and them not being together is. Uh, alien to him and something he needs to develop past but she never plays a seductress she remains a powerful villain she never tries to use her body to get what she wants or anything and the way she's drawn they could have really easily done that <laughs> oh i'm sure if there's some rule 34 out there you have no I idea <laughs> you know it's the internet unfortunately it is the internet um Anytime. I can't think of Rule 34 without Weissman not believing us that there was Peter Parker, Aunt May porn out there. But Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. He did not believe us. Uh, oh, God. I remember that night. Man. I remember that <laughs> night. Oh, that God. scarred him pretty bad. Man, there was some stuff that I've seen with Rule 34 involving Spider-Man that I just wish I hadn't. So bad. So bad. So, cha so changing the subject. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Please, please take it away from me. I just uh, to return to Goliath and Demona. I just want to say I think there is in the when they reunite the moment of them just giant hug wings included is very cute, very good animation. Like I get it, she's evil. I get it. They're not. I get it, but also. If she wasn't evil, very cute moment. Goliath just full, just both gargoyles, full body hug, full wings. It's cute. It's good. I like, I am a nerd who likes when various creatures of whatever kind, it's like, how do we incorporate the fact that like you have wings and those are just a thing that you have and would use to do whatever. It's nice. It's good. Nice touch. 
I'm just glad they that they bring it to the action figure for a minute. That they with the Bronx figure, they're including you know the the caped version of Goliath because those spread out wings are huge. Yes, and I I love that they did the whole caping of the wings. Anyway, like instead of just having the wings up all the time that they can cape them, anytime they use their wings for something like Goliath will use his wing to tap on something or something like that. I love those moments are great. Right. It it makes one thing we didn't mention earlier was how they make New York City a character in the show. Yes. Um, Something I wish Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man would be able to do, but that's a whole different podcast. Um, but in this show, New York City is very much a character in and unto itself. And those, those things like making it the cape and, and making the little touches and the details you see in the background and stuff like that, I, I really appreciate. And like, like you're saying, like, like when he, when you're using that or like, using the wings for things that you wouldn't expect them to use it for. And, because it is an extension of their bodies. It's not just, oh, they have wings so they fly. There's more to it than that, which is I think is, I appreciate. Yeah, no, I was going to say, speaking of New York, I love, especially re-watching these, I love that it feels so distinctly New York. It is not just big city. It is New York. And some of that's easy when you have characters that, fly that glide to just show like specific parts of a skyline and stuff like that but like i love that there's the alice in wonderland statue in the middle of central park that they show in the violet just because it's a cool thing to have as a backdrop on on an action scene and stuff like that that is perhaps a little less known but is still like yeah that's in new york exactly I love when they do that. In later episodes, they use the Cloisters, they use Belvedere Castle, a lot of locations that aren't necessarily as famous as, say, Times Square or the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty. Let's talk about the talent, because these voice actors, we talked about them a little bit, they're a real troop. Greg keeps reusing them on his shows for a reason. I mean, all three of the trio have turned up in, I mean, Brooklyn, Jeff Bennett, he was shocker on... Spectacular Spider-Man and Montana, and he was uh, Abracadabra uh, and Red Tornado on Young Justice. Tom Adcox, who's Lexington, he was the Tinkerer on Spectacular Spider-Man, and Clarion, the Witch Boy on Young Justice. I <laughs> I love Clarion. He's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying the current arc. Let's see where this goes. Um, full disclosure, the first episode of Zatanna's arc has aired as of uh, this recording. Tomorrow's the second. And Bill Fagerbachy would have been Hydro Man in Spec Spidey, and he's currently Bear on Young Justice. Makes me sad. I would want. I would have wanted Hydro Man, so that way we could we could have gotten the Mud Monster for no reason. Indeed, and obviously Ed Asner was uh, Uncle Ben on Spectacular Spider-Man, and Kent Nelson on. Young Justice, Keith David was briefly Tombstone on Spectacular Spider-Man, and then he was Mongol in the second season of YJ, and Sally Richardson, unfortunately, has yet to make her return, but Frakes finally is in the Catwoman movie that Greg wrote that is YJ adjacent, (laughs) and Marina is Queen Bee. Right. Marina. She's... 
Oh, she, the, the entire cast, uh, you, you sit there and you look at what they've not only done in, in front of the camera in live action, so many of them, but their accomplishments both before and since, like you say. I mean, Ed Asner, for me, as much as I love J.K. Simmons, there's a, still a part of me that hears Ed's voice as Jonah. Um, he will it, always, always for me, he will always be. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, going back to old, you know, when he first was mm-hmm. J. Jonah Jameson. But it's always like what I look for for my JJJ. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I felt like that there, there was elements that Simmons brought from as Asner's performance, not, not necessarily but just there's there's some striking similarities between the two and how they approach the character. They it feels like they got it. Both of them. Yeah, yeah. They just they just nailed it. And uh, everybody on the cast on this on on the on this pilot is just they nailed it. Mhm. And they keep on nailing it. The cast remains awesome as new characters and new actors are introduced. I mean, we've got I mean there's one more regular actor who shows up much later in the series which we implied a little bit earlier on so hopefully we'll discuss her sometime in the future but it's a terrific cast and i already mentioned clancy brown and the late great ed gilbert as the captain who was uh famously he was uh blue and tailspin and he was zach will know this the mandarin in the first season of the 90s iron man cartoon yes you can watch that 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 Acid trip on uh, Disney Plus. Oh, no, uh, no, he brought his A game to it, even if some of the writing wasn't there. Okay, he was not the problem. No, not <laughs> let's, at all. Let's be clear. <laughs> but uh, there's a very different tone in season one and season two. And you're watching season one, you're like, oh, God, how did this get renewed for a second season? It's the opposite Goliath Chronicles. Exactly. Season one is border is bad. But season two is like so much better when they start, you know, introducing characters like I don't know Hawkeye and Spider Woman, and, and which is actually my first exposure to some of those characters. Mm-hmm. Are there any other elements we should that we haven't gotten to before we begin wrapping up? Anything you, either of you two want to bring up and discuss? I'll let Emily go first. No. <laughs> oh, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> Basically. Uh, uh, I was just think nice. This this is your first time on the network, so I'm like I'm trying to be you know cordial and nice and throw it to you. I appreciate and like, it. I appreciate uh, it. No, I we've covered so much, and we've covered the few things I knew I wanted to talk about. So I'm good. Unless uh, people have my question is, are you going to watch season two now? Well, yeah, yes, it's been on the watching season two. It has been on the to do list since watching season one. I am just a very busy person on the Internet, which means watching a lot of things that I have to talk about. And some of those, you know, have timelines and deadlines attached to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't you don't you hate that when you got timelines and deadlines and real life stuff? Timelines. She's just popular yeah, t- yeah, as you should be. The Zach, if you haven't heard Whelmed yet, you really should. It's a fantastic show. It's a great podcast. I I'm going to add that very shortly onto my Apple Podcasts. Yeah, I'm I'm well, telling you, I'm going to go listen to it right away because Emily has been quite the treat. So well, I'm looking thanks. forward to it. for 
anyone here on the podcast and anyone listening, well, The Young Justice Files is a deep dive podcast into the Young Justice series covering all of the seasons so far, as well as the tie-in comics. Sometimes we bring on guests to discuss their favorite elements of the show. And sometimes, you know, we just do deep dives into each episode. And we approach everything from both a fan perspective, talking about our favorite elements of the show, as well as from a creative perspective, talking about what we and you can learn about it uh, to create your own narratives. That's our elevator pitch. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love it. And they have they have great interviews with some, with some old friend of ours. They have a great three-hour interview with Crispin Freeman. And I really enjoyed when he sat down with an old friend of ours, Zara Fuzzle. Yes. We have ta- uh, Zara is amazing. We have had her on a couple of times. She is absolutely wonderful. Uh, we've also had uh, Greg Weissman on, who anyone listening to this podcast will presumably know, uh, along with Bren Vietti, one of the other creators of Young Justice. And we have had just some absolutely fabulous people. There's some overlap between Gargoyles and Young Justice, clearly. So, uh, yeah, well, check us out. Yeah, well... Yeah, and celebrate. Thank you for letting me plug our show. You're very welcome. It deserves to be plugged. It deserves to be listened Absolutely. to. In preparation for um, this podcast recording today, granted, by the time this goes out, it'll be a couple months old. I posted this artwork a friend of mine did for Greg Wiseman's birthdays of the heroes and the villains from his various shows, and talking about people who came into Wiseman's shows, whichever show they came in, we're all in friendly fandoms, we shall be sister fandoms, and um, I tagged you in that as well. Well, well, uh, wishing Greg happy holidays, even though Hanukkah's a couple days over, but... <laughs> I celebrate Hanukkah this year. Cool. My wife is ethnically Jewish, and, and uh, part of her family is re- religiously Jewish, so we uh, got to expose that to my daughter this year, which was kind of fun. Cool. So... And um, Zach, is it yeah. my turn to? Yeah, is it? Wait, before we do that, do you have any final thoughts go for on? It. Okay, cool. Yeah, go, go right ahead. <laughs> Emily um, takes yeah. over. <laughs> no, no. Uh, my final thoughts, honest. This was this was such an incredible, um, incredible pilot. It makes it. I'm going to watch this. Of it, you know, I, I keep saying that. Uh, I think we're going to do in our commentaries because we're going to be doing Spidey commentaries. But I think we're going to have to do at some point. We're going to have to do. A commentary on gargoyles for our patreons we have not started that yet but uh when we do um i think we gotta we gotta bring you and 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 jennifer if she's up for it uh on to uh to com- do, do some fun commentaries and, and and watch it together and you know point out things like dogs in the background Right. Uh, she really caught that. And that was, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, I was very impressed. Uh, I was really happy. <laughs> right. Um, but no, for, for for my stuff, obviously, Spectacular Radio, where you have myself, Jennifer, and uh, Greg. Um, if you have not listened to that show, it's up on Spidey-Dude.com or on your favorite podcasting catcher. Um, you have Clone Saga Chronicles, our show about the 90s Clone Saga and all the Clone Saga-related characters. Coming soon will be a Miles Morales Clone Saga episode, and I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, <laughs> nothing to do with that Miles. That wasn't a good... No, nothing to do with Miles. That was just really a bad story. <laughs> it's not Miles' fault. I'll just say that. Um, 
it was ambitious. I'll say that it was trying to be different, and, and so I, I, I have to give it some respect because like they could have just done a rehash, like so many have done. Um, so there's that, and then there's also Spidey Experience. We're about to uh, be headlong into um, we're, we're headlong into the Beyond story uh, that's going on in the comics right now. Uh, that comes out twice a month, though this month there will be an extra episode because there's a little film you might have might have seen some promotional material about called Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, you know, it's not been all over the internet or anything. Just you know, that little thing, that little indie film. That little indie film, yeah. 20, yeah. It's only in like 12 theaters. It's the whole thing. 26. Yeah, like that, lit release. Yeah. I mean, I mean, with the with the price of tickets that they're being sold on the internet for, I mean. $25,000 and stuff, you know, people Ouch. paying for a premiere ticket. Now, if it's like to the premiere, like the red carpet premiere, world premiere, okay, I could see that. But if it's like to just your premiere to like your theater down the street on opening night, like on that Thursday, I have an extra ticket. So if you want to pay that much, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, we're going to be covering that uh, on, a, on a future episode, too. So by the time this has come out, we'll already done it. Um, but yeah, and we'll have more Amazing Spider-Man classics on the on the network, more Make Mine Mayday, our, our Spider-Girl, Amazing Spider-Girl show. And uh, so <laughs> I just held up the action figure like as if this is going to go out. <laughs> uh but yeah, we have our Spider Girl podcast to do with uh, Kelly McDaniel and I. We cover the MC2 uh, in its entirety, and so uh, we got a lot of stuff going. On. I got a lot of fingers, and a lot of pies. So, um, and there's more to come. Truly. Mm-hmm. So that's my plug. It's not nearly as well rehearsed as an elevator speech, which I'm taking notes uh, from Emily. And hers uh, was pretty spotless, man. That was that was sweet. I, that was. Glorious. I, I keep saying I'm, I've I've learned a lot from the Whelmed podcast. It's a terrific show, and I've learned a lot from her tonight. Even I mean, it, this is a real pleasure, Emily. I'm so glad that you came on. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I know you're a DC person, but if you ever want to talk Marvel, you have an open door uh, to talk Spidey and Marvel. Uh, I am an all of the comics person. I am just not. Yes. I'm just not. I'm just not deep into the Spider Man. I apologize. Hey, that's My, okay. Oh, not everybody can be perfect. <laughs> if you want a crash single course, tier, single tier. If you want a crash course, we're, we've we've got multiple avenues because <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man Classic starts from the beginning, and uh, we're about to do season two, where it's just kind of a soft reboot, where we're, uh, we'll have Javi and his son uh, going through Spider-Man comics for the first time, like together from the beginning. Oh, so that, that sounds wonderful. Oh, that's yeah. a very cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. So. Getting it from the perspective of dad, who has read the comics for decades, and then the son, who has been exposed to the character, but so his perspective is a little different, and uh, so that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, uh, I, hopefully, the first couple episodes will be out by the time this comes out. So, hopefully, knocking on wood. But yeah, we cover all things right here on the show, and, and then we cover now all things gargoyles because. It is glorious. Knocking on wood. And, hey, there's a little bit of Spidey and uh, Young Justice. Black Spider voiced by Josh Keaton. Awesome. <laughs> and I love I love Young Justice, So, um, but it's been a while since I've watched it. So um, Get caught up. 
I need to get caught up. I need to get caught up. By the time this comes out, I will definitely have been caught up. Excellent. Okay. All right. Awesome. And, and Jen, you want to promote anything? Uh, I really, um, I just got back from the San Diego Comic Con special edition, so most of my uh, inventory is sold. Uh, but you can still find uh, like my Red Bubble and, and such on uh, heyaspot.com. And um, uh, if you have any questions or looking for any commissions, you can always hit me up there as well. It never makes me not make me laugh whenever you say heyaspot.com. <laughs> for the time you've created that, the time we've known each other, it always makes me giggle like a six-year-old, and it's okay. Like if my if my if my daughter I, that right now, she'd be giggling. I um, promise that if you're a supernatural fan and I tell you what that is, you will always remember <laughs> where my what my website is. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, I should probably get a real you know domain, but for now that one's working. We'll insert Castiel shouting it for you. <laughs> hey. Ass butt. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And I've got nothing to plug, but I just want to say thank you to both of our guests here. Thank you, Zach, for hosting us and giving us room and board and a place to discuss this wonderful show. Thank you, Emily, for coming on to our show, which I hope is a fraction as good as yours because it's really been inspiring and you've been a, a real pleasure to have on here. And um, I look forward to listening to more Whelmed as the season progresses and we hope maybe somebody will come back on because we'd love to discuss City of Stone with you. You haven't seen that yet, but we'll hopefully someday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Mm. I like that idea. I think Emily needs to come back. I don't know about me, but, uh, you know, Emily definitely should should come back whenever she, she's able so we'll see what the future holds we will and i want to thank our listeners as always we're going to be joined again next time by greg wiseman and a very special guest tom adcox hernandez the voice of lexington and a tinkerer and clarion as we discuss episode six of gargoyles the thrill of the hunt where we meet the pack Besides, with you by my side, I can do anything.